Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And on today's show, we have Keith Finger, uh, Chief Revenue Officer at Ignite Revenue. Keith, uh, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Great to be with you. Thank you. So as always, I start the show off by asking, what are the trends in igniting revenue that you think chief executive officers need to know about? So tell us a little bit about what you're thinking. Well, there are several trends that are happening uh, that people really need to pay attention to for 2016. And I would say the first one for that is mobile, meaning mobile devices and how companies go and uh, attract prospects, attract customers, keep in touch with customers. Uh, this year, more people are doing uh, searches on their phones than on their desktop computers for the first time. But many companies are not using mobile-friendly devices, excuse me, are not uh, using, uh, don't have mobile-friendly websites. When they send out emails, they're not uh, what's called responsive to the size of the device. So they're not communicating with uh, the way that their customers want to receive the information. And so, uh, and also Google is now when they search and they rank websites, they're giving preference to websites that are mobile friendly. So if a company has not yet done that, they need to get a mobile friendly site and they also need to see how they communicate with, uh, with their customers when sending out emails to make sure those emails will resize automatically for a mobile device, whether that's an iPad or a mobile phone iOS, Android, whatever that customer might be using. Um, about mobile um, on CEO exclusive throughout the, the, the year. As you think about having a conversation with a CEO, um, what are some other things that they need to know about the move to mobile? And is it, is it uniform across industries? Um, we tend to talk with companies that are mid-sized. Uh, is it uniform across market segments, so size of company? Yes, it is. No matter what size of company it is, no matter whether it's uh, consumer-oriented or business-oriented, B2B or B2C, those prospects and customers are looking up information and are receiving information primarily on their devices. I mean, we've all been someplace uh, waiting for an appointment or sitting at a traffic light and not sitting at a traffic light, y'all. Okay, let's uh, so, okay. So I'm sitting on the side of the road <laughs> safely, and and we we look at our, our phone to see what the latest email is. I mean, that's a great example. It's, something comes up, and we're looking at it, and that information needs to be seen in a way that is easy for us to view. Uh, we probably have all been in meetings where someone mentioned a particular company, and we went to our phones to pull up the website, and if the website is not mobile friendly that you have to pinch and squeeze and move it around with your finger to read it. And that happens no matter what you sell, uh, whether you're a B2B or B2C, whether you're a, a, a $100,000 firm or a $100 million firm. So it's really across segments, across industries, across uh, business size. Mm -hmm. And what's the playbook for a company that's thinking about optimizing their mobile strategy? Well, the first thing to do is to engage someone who is familiar with, with that type of change. And because that person can help you understand what's the information that is really critical to put on mobile and what is, is sort of not so important. Because you're, you're not going to get everything onto a phone. 
usually it involves taking a menu and uh, taking those bits and pieces of the website that are, are most important and having that available for somebody and very easy to access. So that person, that resource will help you go through and figure out what are the most important things to put on the phone or to, to put in a mobile format. Uh, what, what you see is uh, the word that people use now is called responsive design. And responsive design means the, the website or the email is able to sense the device that the person is using and it adapts to that size device. So if you can imagine if you had a, uh, an iPhone or if you had a large tablet, things are going to be formatted a little bit differently. And what responsive design does, it's able to sense the browser and the device and then specifically format the information that's being received uh, or sent out by the company to the user's device. And that's really important. So I know that your company sits at the intersection of sales and marketing. Tell us how social media, mobile, all these things actually translate into dollars, dollars and cents for a company. Well, all these things translate together because a, a company has to, at some point, sell what they do. So these are all different tactics that will help them attract customers or communicate in an outbound way with, with their prospects. Uh, companies have a tendency to focus too much, though, on what I call chasing the shiny penny, which can be looking at tactics and saying, well, what, what's big now is mobile. If I just do mobile, I'll be... I'll be successful. Or uh, if I do, let's think of something else that was new at one point. Uh, email blasts at one point were new. And by the way, th those are two words which I detest almost more than any other two words are, are email blast. Um, and, I'll, and I'll explain why. But when that was new, people thought, well, if I just do that, I'll get a lot of customers. They, they, they still think that now. Well, you know, well, we have a list with a thousand people and we just send that out and you know, I don't understand why things aren't working, they say. But you have to really have a plan and know what you're saying, why you're saying it, who you're going after. And a lot of folks just skip the planning and they run right to the tactic. So you mentioned a couple really big marketing fundamentals. What, let's go a little bit deeper into those fundamentals because they're perennial. We talk about trends, but some of these things are perennial, right? Knowing who you're going after, why they should want your product, where they are. Those are marketing fundamentals that, that never change. That's right. But it's funny that a lot of people just don't. They, it's in their head, but it's not on paper. Or it's in their head, or it's, it's on paper, but they haven't shared it with anybody in the company. I see that all the time. And that's, you know, certainly I'm a strategist, and I see that all the time with planning for the revenue side and then planning for other aspects of the business. Why do you think it's so difficult for uh, CEOs to develop the discipline of actually taking those ideas out of their heads and writing them down and, and actually doing the work to distill them into something that's usable by their organization? I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes it's, it's they feel they've actually done it, but they haven't really done it or they've done it in a very uh, minimal way, which they don't realize hasn't thoroughly informed the employees. Uh, Sometimes they really, they know it at a certain level and they're afraid to show that they don't really know it. You know, sometimes it could be lonely at the top, so they, they don't know how to communicate and get that out. Um, and I guess the third one would be they, they just don't know what they don't know. So they think that they're running the business the way businesses get run, and they just don't know any better. Uh, I've met a lot of, uh, of 
people, uh, as I'm sure you have, who they really don't have a, a business plan. They don't have a plan that links their dollars to what they have to do to pull those dollars in at the most minute level, at the most granular level. What type of activities do they need to be engaged in? And then how many leads or, or referrals do they need to get that translate then down to uh, prospects and contracts or proposals and contracts and then to a, a customer? So people have to, have to have all that written out because when you share that with people, it's very powerful. Then they know what they need to be looking at, what they need to be focusing on. And you talked about that process of the discipline of planning and writing things out. What are the benefits that you've seen? You talk about igniting revenue. In your estimation or from your experience, what is the difference in growth or revenue that you've seen from the companies that are disciplined and have a disciplined process versus those that don't? Well, anecdotally, and I have to say it's anecdotally because it's just a few data points using my experience, but I've seen people grow their business by uh, 15, 20, 25% in, in one year, 18 months, two years, simply from going seat of the pants to being uh, more focused on how they're, they're going about getting business and keeping business. And a lot of folks, you know, there's something that I have called the revenue generation ecosystem. And most folks, when they think of, of, of getting business, they think of marketing. And marketing means Facebook and trade show giveaways and kind of art and copy, fluffy stuff. But, and that's really the way it was at some point. You know, back, back in the day, you didn't have all this data. There's, you just kind of did stuff and what looked good and sounded good became what you did and you hoped that that was the right thing. Now, with all these different marketing tactics you can understand at the, at, again, at a very granular level what people are responding to and why. But uh, really, you need to understand how many different things are influencing how you go to market. So it's not just, am I using Facebook or advertising or email or going to a trade show? It's really, who am I, who, who am I really trying to go after? Um, what are they looking for? What are their needs that I might be solving or might be able to solve that aren't being solved right now. Uh, what's my competition doing? How do I compare to them in offerings, but also in my message? Because if I'm going into a market trying to be the, the premium provider or the, the low price provider, and someone else is already there, that's a space that's very difficult to, to take away from someone else. Uh, so marketing tactics are really at the end of all the information of, of the process that somebody goes through to be able to uh, bring their products and services to market. Uh, the second part of that is sales. So once marketing gets a lead, and it varies by company, whether it's marketing or sales, who's really doing the majority of the, the lead generation, uh, what's sales doing with that lead? Frequently, uh, unfortunately, the, the research I've seen that most is that most salespeople will call someone one, two, maybe three times at the most, and they drop it. But really, folks need to have 12 touches, 10 touches, and not all just phone calls. You know, there's a variety of ways. It needs to be a multimodal approach. So what sales does with that lead is important as well. And of course, if that lead is not uh, responsive or they're, they're not ready to buy, it needs to go back into the marketing um, nurturing program, into a nurturing program to keep them informed 
because you never know when that prospect is going to say, you know what, I need something. Where's that email that I got from this company last week? Uh, the third part of the revenue generation ecosystem is what I call uh, experience, which means customer experience and employee experience. Customer experience refers to customer satisfaction. What's a company doing to help keep their customers happy and satisfied? That's important because those customers then become repeat customers, and they also become the raving fans of your business to other people. The employee side of that is uh, employee satisfaction or, or employee morale. And that's really important because the, the more the employees and do joy, the more they enjoy doing their job and coming to work, the better they do their job and the more productive they are. And those two things, experience really influences um, the, not just, it, it, they're, they're really post-sale type of, of influences. So while sales and marketing can bring somebody through and sell them, if, if being a customer is not a good experience because of something that happens due to the, the employee, and the employee isn't doing it well because they're not happy or there's things going on in the company, that really makes it much more difficult on the sales and marketing process to grow the company because you're always trying to make up for lost business as well as grow and get new business. So there are three parts, right? You have the marketing, the sales, and then the customer service piece, right? Right. And I would put, I would put customer service, uh, I would include in that um, employee satisfaction because mm -hmm. I think those two things link together. Customers pick up on uh, employee morale, employee satisfaction. We've all been to stores where somebody had a bad attitude, an employee had a bad attitude. That affected our impression of that store and, and our, uh, you know, did we want to go back there ever again? So it, it's, it's important that companies not only understand how employees, excuse me, how uh, customers feel about them, but also how do employees feel about working there? Mm -hmm. One discourse I've been hearing a lot about lately is this notion of tribe. Uh, so you have all these different places and ways and tactics that you're using to touch the same person. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, marketing, one of the key marketing fundamentals is to figure out who these people are um, and where you can find them. And I would love it if you would weigh in on how a company goes about really identifying who that who the tribe is like and, and beginning to create them as this entity um, the classic examples that you that people hear about are like Apple, right? That's done this phenomenal job of having, you know, and you compare Apple to Microsoft, right? Right. Um, where my, people use Microsoft because they have to, <laughs> and use Apple because they want to. Right. And uh, you know, other examples like CrossFit, where the companies have done an exceptional job of creating this ethos and this, you know, group of people that follow them religiously. How does, how does a company go about creating that, that experience and transforming their, this disparate group of people that they may even have done a good job of identifying, but transforming them into this, from this disparate group of customers into a tribe? Well, it's interesting because when you look at Microsoft and you look at Apple, the, the, what I like about it is that Apple took something which previously had been seen as being almost kind of, of generic or, uh, or a commodity, which was the computer, the PC. And again, if you remember back in the day, uh, I remember computers, no matter what brand you bought, they were this beige box. And Apple figured out that, well, if we present the information in a new and engaging way, you know, the Mac, and we also 
make design an element of the product, a bigger element than it was before, somehow someone did some research. I mean, they didn't just sort of flop into it. You know, Steve Jobs, of course, was a, was a brilliant man, but I'm sure that they did some market research and they figured out that there were people who could be very dedicated customers who were willing to pay more for a premium product that was almost, uh, that almost, I would say it reflected a lifestyle. And uh, that, you know, it, everybody has a phone, but it's understanding what are those things that will make somebody a different type of buyer or is interested in yours than another. You're, you're going through and you're segmenting the market. You're trying to understand what can I offer differently than somebody else is, is offering that doesn't exist. So it's a little bit of what's called blue ocean strategy, where you're going against the grain on what everybody else is doing. Uh, another one example of blue ocean might be Cirque du Soleil. Before Cirque du Soleil was around, you know, a circus was uh, you know three circles with elephants and, and tigers, and it was a very traditional circus. Cirque du Soleil came around and went and changed the circus from being a child's experience that the parents went to to being an adult experience, and. So it's someone looking at what's out there that's not being served, or they could serve differently, serve better. What are the attributes of that product that might be different, of that service that might be different? And do you think that, do you have a thought on how services can do that as well uh, to create, because you think about lawyers, you know, how does a lawyer create a tribe? How does a, um, an accountant create a tribe? Or is it possible? And, and what do you think it takes to do that? It's funny because people like lawyers, um, professional services, they're sort of limited by what they do. You know, there's, there's professional standards. And so a lawyer can only do so many things, but there's ways that you can deliver a service and uh, to avoid becoming commoditized. So a lawyer is going to address a service in a certain way or it's going to provide, you know, it's going to help somebody create an, an estate plan. It's going to help somebody with litigation. What they do is, you know, they're all aiming for the same end result, but it's the way they engage with someone. It really comes down to, and things like that, the customer experience is very important and things like branding, but the branding can't just be superficial. It just can't be, we've got a pretty logo and look at our cute website, but everybody behind the scenes acts the same way. The lawyers all act like, you know, of any other firm down the street. So it's important to have those people understand what the brand is, how do they want to respond uh, to, to prospects, how are they living the way that they are now putting themselves out there. And then that becomes part of the customer experience and people end up uh, really enjoying that because they say, oh, I went into this meeting with these lawyers and they really do treat people different. Their whole orientation towards working with customers is different. Um, the problem that you get with groups like lawyers and CPAs, and, and actually, you know what, a lot of companies is that they become commoditized. And it's very easy for someone nowadays to start up a business and do something exactly like someone else is doing. So things like uh, good customer service and really effective branding that is not just uh, art and copy, but really infuses the firm with how they deal with uh, the public is important. And all of this is really great. However, how do, how do you use social media marketing, all these tactics to sell and not just as a loudspeaker? Great point. Too many people use social media as sort of like a bulletin board. 
So they might post the same thing on Twitter, you know, if you're a store. We're having a sale, hashtag, you know, uh, three-day sale. Mm-hmm. And then they post the same thing on their, on their Facebook account. And they put, it ends up just being a, a notice, mm-hmm. if you remember the old bulletin boards, mm-hmm. online bulletin boards. The interesting thing is that every online, uh, every social media uh, outlet really has its own personality. Twitter is great for short bursts of quick information things that people want to know about. Facebook is great for interacting back and forth and really developing um, a relationship. And I'll, I'll give you a great example for that. Even though uh, uh, I know that a lot of people talk about Delta and, and well, first let's talk about Twitter. You can, you can post something. A lot of news organizations use it. Uh, a lot of folks just use it they, who, who want to provide something very quick. And Delta has been very successful with Twitter uh, with their Delta Assist. But I'm going to say that that's probably a little bit more unusual. Most folks use Facebook where there's a two-way dialogue going on. And I've, I've had situations where I went into a store and was unhappy with something that happened or I had a product problem. And instead of calling the 800 number of the company or sending them an email, I went to their Facebook page and said, I'm really unhappy about this. Uh, this is what happened. And I, I posted it on their page and they responded to me in a much quicker fashion, and I got better resolution than I, I believe I would have gotten if I had replied in a, a, a non-public manner. That can also be, a, be done in a positive way, that interaction. So a company can, can talk to its, its prospects or its customers and about something that they're doing and solicit feedback. Um, let's, you know, if you are an airline, maybe you would post a message saying, uh, were you flying this weekend with us and, and tell us what you'll be doing. And for the best one, we'll, we'll give you, you know, a prize or, or it, it's just a way to, to, um, uh, have a, a relationship with your customers that goes beyond a one way, uh, this is what we're selling type of, of discussion. So let's go back to email blasts. Why do you hate those? Oh gosh. Hate those words, <laughs> two English words in the English language more than anything else. Because there's this, I tell you, there's just this, this, indiscriminate nature of email blasts. It's, it's somebody buying a list or maybe just sending it out to their own list. But usually, they're serious as what? The information is, is, is typically very internally focused is what I've seen. So a company says, this is what we're doing. This is what we're selling. It's all about us. And then we're just sending it to everybody on our list, customers, non-customers, people who might be in the sales process. So it's, it's very indiscriminate in that way. And each of those groups, though, have things that they are uniquely interested in. If you are a customer, what you want to know, you maybe don't want to get sold again, but if you are in the sales process or you're considering uh, initiating the sales process, your needs or, or, or what you're looking for is entirely different. And when I ask people, well, why did you send it out? I said, well, it's cheap. Uh, it, doesn't, <laughs> it, 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 it didn't cost me anything, so I went ahead and did it. Well, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, you get what you pay for there, but there's nothing else that they might be doing as well. It's, it needs to be part of a bigger plan and needs to be a little bit more focused than just sending it out and, hey, if nothing comes out of it, nothing comes out of it. I mean, yeah, it took you some effort to send it out. You might as well do it the right way than just feel like it's, it's junk. Uh, the other thing is that what you risk doing when you don't have a well-designed plan is you risk getting a lot of uh, unsubscribes. And then, you, then you, you are, you're taking a revenue away from yourself, potentially. 
So, and you also might be, if, if you bought a list, you might get yourself on a spam list. So I, I never recommend that people buy email addresses and that they try and grow it organically. If you look online, with, you know, you could, if you Google how to grow an email list, there will be you know, hundreds of articles on how to do it organically by people who want to be on it versus buying it from someone and those people don't want to be on it. Hmm. I think a theme that I heard in that is making sure that you, you provide or create value in the, in the communications you send out. Right. Um, and that's what Delta was doing. And um, that's part of the reason why I hear you don't like email blasts. What are your guidelines for thinking through how to make sure that your communications do create value? And what does that value need to, to look like in, in marketing? Well, first let me say, I think email marketing is very good done right. So I'm not against any email, any, I'm not, I'm not against blanket. I don't have a blanket uh, statement that's negative against email. Done right, it's, it can work very effectively. Uh, so what does that look like? It's understanding what people find, what they would find as helpful as they go through their uh, customer experience, as they go through the buying process. And there's ways to test different items, different types of topics, and see what people are drawn to. So you, you will never know just off the top of your head what works and doesn't work. But if you were to understand your prospects or your recipient's needs, so it goes into a little bit of understanding the, the customer profile, their persona, what are their concerns as they go about their day? What type of, of information do they need? You want to really key in on that. And content is, is king, so to speak. But it's also a really hungry, hungry beast. Yes, it's it is. It's very difficult to create consistent, high-quality content on a, on a regular cadence. How do, how do companies go about doing that? Well, and, and content is very important because... The, the power has shifted in the buying relationship from the seller to the buyer. It used to be if you wanted to buy something, you had to call up the company to get the information. You couldn't go. There was no online. You, the, the library probably had nothing other than a copy of Consumer Reports. So if you were looking to buy anything, you had to call the company. You had to go to the store. And that's how you got in their funnel because you called them and now they're sending out a salesperson to sell you a typewriter or an insurance policy, whatever it was. Now, because you can go in anonymously, look at what companies are doing. Reviews are great. Right. Reviews are great. <laughs> uh, companies have to have great content to draw you in and keep you engaged. And I still see companies whose websites are all about me, 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 about how great cus their customer service is, how about how the customer is number one, how about how they've been around for 30 years. But the problem is everybody else is saying that. What they're not doing is having great content. And I, I completely understand and agree that content can be, generating good content can uh, be a very time-consuming and difficult process. But what, what the thing to do is to chop that up into, let's say, quarterly buckets. And you think about what's the big idea for this quarter. And so you might generate a white paper, for example. That's like a big piece of content. That white paper can then be turned into, sliced up and turned into one-minute video snippets. It can be turned into blog posts, uh, tweets. So 
you, you're, you're trying to take something big or a couple big things that have a theme that is resonating with your customers for that quarter, and you're reusing this big piece by, by cutting it up and using it for something smaller. It's so much easier than thinking, oh, gosh, I need, you know, three blog posts this week. And over the quarter, let's see, that's 12 weeks. Oh, my gosh, I need 36 blog posts and two videos. Take something big and then just cut that up into something small that can be reused in different ways. Mm-hmm. And the, the good part about doing it that way is that as people see it in different places, they have much greater recollection of it and it resonates with them more. Mm-hmm. And this to me sounds like a conversation that's maybe a, l- a level below the chief executive officer, right? They're probably talking to their chief marketing person or their chief sales If they person, have one. Right, if they have one. Um, how, do, how does the CEO actually go about thinking through and prioritizing this activity and really directing the people that are working for them on, on what to do? You know, it's funny you say that. I find that it's, depending on the age of the CEO or the head of the company, there's different orientations towards this type of activity because chances are if they're in their, you know, let's say 40s, 50s, 60s, they, they, they grew up, they came through the business. Uh, they sort of got their sea legs in the business world at a time when marketing was different. And so they might be struggling to understand how to do this to begin with versus, you know, a millennial, you know, a 20-something or somebody in their 30s who started in business or has been working and this has always been around because, you know, the internet... And, and this sort of, uh, of content marketing, it's been like you know, the last 10, 8, 10 years really is where people started realizing how the, that sh- power had shifted. Someone who is, uh, uh, who is older, they sometimes they don't understand it or, because they, they've just never been around it. And so it, it can be uh, quite a, a struggle. Uh, the thing that I would recommend is, is talking to your network and finding somebody who might be a good advisor to, to tell you and, and give you a little bit of guidance on what might work. Somebody who is a, uh, let's say, tactic neutral or tactic agnostic, not a social media person, because they're going to they're gonna want to sell you on that. No offense. I know lots of great social media people and advertising people and even email people. But someone who can be more of a, a, uh, an advisor in a global sense on revenue generation, not so much on a particular tactic, who can inform and be... Um, objective. And so what do they need to look for when they're evaluating and trying to help or their chief revenue officer, chief marketing sales, business development person comes up with this plan? How does that CEO evaluate whether or not those priorities are the right priorities for the company? You know, do they want to invest more in a social media campaign versus, um, you know, a big content marketing campaign or PR, how does, how does the CEO think about which of those priorities is the right one for them right now? Well, usually when I'm talking with somebody, I will try to start at the very top, which is what are your revenue goals? So if a company says, well, our revenue goal is $10 million, just, just what is the, the overall goal? That's what I want to understand first, because everything has to flow up and help reach that goal. The next step is thinking about, well, if you have these different products and services that you sell, what percentage of each of those are going to contribute to that goal? So it might be 2 million, 3 million, 1 million, 4 million. All right. Of those numbers, 
are those increases or, or decreases and why? So what's happening and why in each of those products that you think that will happen? And are, and are those realistic? You've heard the whole thing about smart goals. So are those realistic goals? Are they, are they a stretch for people? Uh, are they specific? Those sorts of things. The next level is really where the rubber hits the road is, okay, to get to that $4 million for that one product, for example, what are you going to do to do that? What are the actual activities? Uh, and what's been happening that you need to do those activities? So, for instance, that's where you get to, well, we're going to improve quality by X percent. We need to reach a new vertical. We're going to go into, you know, for instance, aerospace. We've been in aerospace. We're going to do um, a, a customer retention program. And then each of those items are going to have specific actions and owners and budgets attached to them. And that's how you know, because you're, you're, you're working backwards from the dollar amount to what are we going to do. And also, I'd say, they're also going to have metrics, so you know whether or not they're, they're working and people aren't just doing those actions, those mm. tactics. Mm. And how long do you, and I know this varies by tactic, but let's say, let's take the big tactics, like, you know, an email campaign or um, a social media campaign or whatever. How, do you, how long do you let these campaigns run before you know that they've, they've either succe- succeeded or failed? Well, if you've got the right metrics, you can see pretty quickly what's working. I would say that there's a saying in, in, in lead generation and marketing that you want to fail fast. And so because you don't know exactly what's going to work better than something else, you always have to be multimodal. You have to go to market hitting the customer or prospect with several things, you know, not just social media, but uh, you might have outbound if you're a, a B2B company that sells an, an enterprise level product, which means something that takes a the, year yeah, or even like, yeah, it could be a year to sell or, or 30 or you know, 60 or 90 days and it's over $10,000. That's kind of the enterprise-ish you know, dividing line. Um, you might have outside sales. Depending upon what you sell, there might be, it might all be inside sales. But you have to look at all the different things that you're doing, make sure they're working together and understand what's working, what's not working and why. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of something called um, Agile agile marketing which is it it takes its name from the agile software development but what you do is you go on these uh let's say three or four week bursts of activity and then you look at what's working what's not working and why and then you decide what are we going to do for the next three or four weeks so so you don't get down the road where it's six months or a year and you say gosh well that didn't work what are we going to do next year you're always adjusting by doing things in short little bursts and then bringing in the stakeholders, talking about what worked, what didn't work, planning now for the next three or four weeks, going out and doing that versus just being on this tear for months and no one really looking at what's working or why or, or having a, a, a powwow about that. So if, you, if Agile is you know, four weeks, my understanding is that for a lot of tactics, you need multiple months to actually know whether or not it's, gonna, it's working. Has that changed? No, it, it, and it really depends on, on what it is. But multiple months, it could, well, first of all, it could take multiple months to actually get something going. Mm-hmm. But chances are you're going to learn things as you go along. Let's say you're going to do a, uh, an, an email campaign, and you need to figure out what are the, what's the content. So you might talk to some customers and, uh, and get their ideas on things that you're thinking of doing. That might take a few weeks right there. So that, that's a few weeks. You come back, you create the content. You might show it to them. That's another few weeks, and you get that feedback. Then you're going to send it out, 
and you're going to see what's clicked on, what's not clicked on. You're going to see what clicks through to revenue, who actually buys. So all that, you're right, it takes the entire process, but once you put something out there, you should be able to tell within a month what people are responding to. If it's a hit or not. Yeah, yeah, even, even on, on television now uh, or, or radio, everything that's done needs to have some sort of response mechanism, some way to, to gauge whether or not it's pulling people in, people are responding to it, it's turning into something. And that's part of the planning process is understand what are the metrics we need to think about so that we know whether we're getting the desired action out of that activity. Well, thank you very much. What are some um, things that are happening in your company that you think CEOs need to know about? Well, um, one thing I wanted to mention was that uh, I'll be doing a, a boot camp in January uh, for, for B2B companies on revenue generation. It'll be about two and a half days. It'll be held in Atlanta, and companies will be able to walk away with a framework for putting together the, the type of plan that we've talked about today. There'll also be an element, uh, a discussion, and a, some activities around innovation to help them fight through uh, commoditization problems they might be having. Mm. And if people want to find out more about agile marketing, where can they find out more about that? Oh, gosh. Online, there's all sorts of information about agile marketing. Or they can contact me. I'm actually a, uh, what's called a scrum master, so I've been trained in agile. And so they can contact me at Keith at ignite-revenue.com uh, or my number is 770-309-5651. Thank you. Well, thanks for a great show today, Keith. Thank you. I appreciate being here. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.